I, I was so much better. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the conversation went on for a while. And as the day rolled by, the Holy Spirit really started to convict me of this. I felt like the Holy Spirit was really saying, hey, it's okay for you to share what you think. Like, I want you to feel free to share your, you know, insights to a friend. But, hey, what you said about this other person uh, really was wrong. You shouldn't have said that. First of all, you're not right. <laughs> because I was, like, kind of questioning their motives for saying anything. God was like, yeah, you're not correct in that. And also, they weren't even there to defend themselves. Like, so anyway, so I started to feel not, like, condemned or anything, but a little convicted. So later in the day, I went to Phil, and I was, hey, Phil, remember that conversation we were having about the, you know, this morning? I, I want to bring that up again, and with somewhat of a blank look on his face, Phil goes, were we talking this morning? Did we have a conversation? <laughs> I, I don't uh, actually, I don't really remember it. Could, could you fill me in a little on what, I have this vague recollection, I'm like, Phil, uh, so I'm a little frustrated at this point, I'm saying, we talked for like a half hour, what's the deal? Uh, but remember that big decision, yeah, yeah, you know, it's so weird, and then the light bulb went off for me. See, the reason that Phil and I were chatting was because I had just picked him up from a doctor's appointment where he had had a procedure that put him under with anesthesia, <laughs> and so... So even though he seemed fully coherent, and he actually hadn't really gotten his memory back. And so all morning, you know, we were having this conversation and things were going on. And later in the day, when I, I kind of retouched base with him, clueless, no, no recollection, really, of the conversation. And so my frustration quickly went to utter joy. Father, you've, I get to take the words and put them back in my mouth. This may be the only time in my life that I experienced that. But Lord, thank you for your mercy and for the anesthesia. It was unfilled. I will make the most of my second chance. And so then we were able to kind of rediscuss this big decision. And I was able to use my words uh, a little bit better. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in those kind of situations where you speak and then wish that the person you're speaking to was recovering from anesthesia. But, it, you know, we, we can't just walk around. You know, I was thinking about that uh, in Men in Black, you know, that like flash device that, that, you know, everything happens and then they flash it and then they're able to just say, oh, this is what really happened. You know, you're able to change the whole thing. Well, life's not like that. It's more like, I was talking to Bill Melanson this week, he was saying, you know, I think our words are, are more like toothpaste, you know, and you, you squeeze it out of a toothpaste container or tube and then if you try and get it back in, it doesn't really work, you know, it, and it actually creates quite a mess. You know, it's like that with our words, although it, a lot of times it's easier to clean up the mess of toothpaste than it is to clean up the mess that can happen from our words. So we're in this series, James, Just Do It. How do we become a mature people that God has called us to be? And that's what we're after here at the harbor. We want to be a mature people. Now James, he thinks that our words are really important in becoming a mature people, that actually the things we say are something that we need to kind of take stock in and just, yeah, that, that they have a lot of impact, that they matter. So we're going to look at James this morning and what he has to say. And now you'll notice I'm intentionally actually using the word, words, more than I'm using speech or even tongue. And James uses those a lot. Now, 
The reason is because James was living in a different kind of age and culture than we are. And so when we talk about things this morning, we talk about the tongue, speech. Where a lot of our communication actually takes place now through emails, through texting, uh, through tweeting, you know, all these different things. And that wasn't on the radar for James as he's writing these things. So just want you to know that if James were writing today, he would be very concerned with the things that you're texting to other people, with the things that you're emailing. Actually, maybe he might even have a stronger rebuke or a stronger word for us because of how easily we can say things in an email. And there's a lot of times there isn't the same accountability because we're not face-to-face. Um, and then there's also this dynamic where once we text it, like it can be used against us for the rest of our life. You know, is James would be speaking about our words and our language as much as, you know, just speech and tongue. Anyway, so just a word on the language there. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to go in James 3, 1 through 12 is where we're going to be this morning. So it'll be on your screen, or the screen, some of those words. Uh, and, but if you have your Bibles, feel free to kind of open up there. So James 3, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2 here. says this, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So who's James talking about here? He's talking about people who are teaching, you know, have entered into a role of teaching in some time, in some way. So we could be thinking about, okay, a pastor, someone who's preaching. Certainly that's in view here for James. Uh, But, you know, I think if, again, if he were alive today, he'd also be addressing uh, professors, school teachers, faith group leaders, you know, any sort of place where you have to step in and you're teaching, you know, other people. And a big part of this, and this is what we're going to look at, the big reason is because our words have influence, okay? And so that's actually, I would say, the biggest point, even behind these first few verses, is that our words have influence. And so even if you say, well, I'm not a teacher, so this doesn't apply to me. I can just be a loose cannon with whatever I say. And, well, not exactly, because, I mean, even I think about Matthew 28 and Jesus talking to, you know, his followers saying, Go, make disciples, teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you to do. You know, so in many ways, God is wanting to establish us into a place where we're teaching. You know, it might not be from an upfront kind of place where you're speaking to large crowds, but you're still going to have a teaching dynamic in your life, hopefully, in helping others follow Jesus. You know, but why, why should we be not quickly become teachers? You know, not quickly enter into this. You know, really be cautious Well, he says, because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, Neil touched on this a little bit last week, and honestly, I feel like you need a whole sermon in and of itself to really look at this issue of what what does it mean, this judgment that James is talking about here. Now, I want to say one thing that it doesn't mean. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's talking about uh, you're going to hell. You will be in eternal separation from God. As if, if you're a teacher, you have a greater chance of not making it into heaven. That's actually not what James is primarily talking about here. 
what, what James is addressing and much of the rest of the New Testament addresses is this dynamic that even those who are secure for eternity with Jesus, that there's still a dynamic where what they do on this earth affects and impacts eternity. That how we live, even if we're a believer, even if we're secure in Jesus, that it still will impact what life is like on the other side of you know, time and here on earth. Think about Jesus. He, he said, you know, store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And we could unpack that in a lot of ways. So, but it seems like James wants us to at least consider this dynamic as, as we step into positions that have influence and authority um, where we may be teaching. But why are teachers you know, singled out specifically as being judged more frequently? I think there's two, two reasons here. One of them is that it's kind of practical. The breadth of influence that you have when you're teaching. I'm standing here and I'm teaching here. I'm not just having coffee and talking to one person. So the impact of what I say is going to somehow address, you know, all of you guys. You know, so if I, if I slander someone from up front in front of 150, it, the the magnitude of that is a little greater than if I'm, I say something inappropriate about a person to one other person and then just pray, you know, that they're coming off anesthesia. You know, it doesn't work that way. And so, or same thing with heresy or for fault, you know, just that sort of thing James is getting at. You have a wider breadth of influence. So actually on this, I felt like this week, uh, the Lord was kind of speaking to me as I'm asking, okay, Lord, I'm 27, I'm kind of stepping into this role where I'm teaching more, I'm having kind of this greater breadth of influence. Lord, even as I prepare this, you know, do you have anything to speak to me? And I really lovingly felt like God started to actually highlight uh, three weeks ago. You'll remember that I, if you were here, that I preached. And I started to think about kind of my opening illustration. And uh, I was referring to a different roommate of the past, not Phil, but... Uh, and, you know, I was kind of poking fun at some of his quirks and probably saying some things that I shouldn't have, especially from a place uh, where I'm kind of modeling for a whole, you know, a congregation to say. Whereas where I would want to say is, you know, we actually don't value and honor kind of putting down, making fun of people's quirks. And yet, you know, I, I think I was erring a little bit too far on the side of something that, shouldn't have been saying, shouldn't have necessarily been stepping into that place, kind of from a place up front. So anyway, just wanted to clear the air on that. Felt like the Holy Spirit just wanted me to give a, a, an apology, and if that made you feel uncomfortable, or you, know, you felt like we we're valuing something that you don't value and Jesus doesn't value, we're right there with you on the same page. So, our breadth of influence. That's, that's one reason why we need to be careful about the words we speak, especially if it's to a crowd. The second reason, though, I think is also there is an inherent authority that comes when you get put into a position as a teacher, a professor, a faith group leader, a small group leader, any sort of area. There's an authority that comes with that. And we can't just shirk that off and say, oh, well, even though I'm in this place of authority, uh, I still get to say whatever I want. I get to do whatever I want. Uh, It doesn't really matter. it, It reminded me, I was thinking this week, of a commercial back in the early 90s with Charles Barkley. It was a Nike commercial, and he's saying, you know, I am not a role model. I'm not a role model. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a rebounder. I'm a... 
but I'm not a role model. Parents, you be the role model. Well, that's a good message and all, and I agree that parents should be the primary role models. Thing is, Charles Barkley is a role model, and I look up to him a lot. <laughs> he's a good, I think he's more of a role model now as an announcer there. I don't know. It's really funny. But uh, so anyway, it's like that with our words, though. When we get put in place of authority, we can't just say, oh, yeah, well, God's called me to teach or be a professor at a university, and yet I just want to destroy everything that people believe, you know. Okay, but these words from James, I think, would apply. Remember that God's actually holding you to somewhat of a higher standard because he's giving you this authority and this influence. And you know, this shouldn't scare us. I want to say that too. It shouldn't scare you from ever entering into, say, a faith group leading or any sort of position because God's wanting to teach us um, to become a people who he can trust with our words, you know, with his words to be speaking through us. And so really at the heart of God is he is wanting to establish every one of us to places where we have influence. I mean, goodness, God needs believers like those of you who are here, who love Jesus, who walk in integrity, to have a voice in our culture, to have a voice in this world in which we live. And so it's almost like God really is looking for people who he can say, yeah, I want to establish you into a place where I can use you, where your words will matter for good and have a place of really influence. So, so that would be the first thing I think James is really getting at. Our words have influence with other people. We need to remember that. We're gonna, he doesn't stop there, though. He, he continues on. And I would say that to summarize this next point, right before we read, we're going to read verses 3 through 6, uh, Another I word there, you know, helpful for memory and whatever, but impact. Okay, I think our words, James is saying, man, our words have a great impact in our, in our surroundings. So with that in mind, let's, let's read James 3, 3 through 6. It says this, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, a small spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Well, strong words there at the end. But as you look at that whole passage, it seems like what James is saying, I was actually reminded of a phrase that Neil used to use a lot in the beginning stage of this church, when we were often quite a small crew. But Neil would say, well, we are many but mighty. We are many but mighty here. You know, we'd show up for yeah, a faith group or a, a college service or church. You'd say, we're many but mighty. I feel like that's what James is getting at here. That our words, though they may seem many to us, that they may seem something insignificant. It's so easy to just let words come out. But they actually really are mighty. Now, I want to look at what, what, what examples does James use here? So I have some props. If you've been up to speed on Facebook recently and we're friends, you've seen me looking for this. Now this is a horse bit. And uh, 
I don't really know what I'm doing with it, but it looks pretty cool. And so this is the actual bit right here. You know, this goes in the horse's mouth. Not huge, especially compared to a horse with all the strength that it has. If you've ever ridden a horse, they have a lot of strength. And this bit, though, is essential in a lot of ways, unless you're like, I don't know, riding out in the middle of the West or something, you just hop on a wild stallion. But for most of us who are not in that place and then just like a horse whisperer or something, like where you can just control it, you need the bit. You need to put this in the mouth, small, but will actually direct and bridle the strength of this horse into the direction that you want it to go. So the bit, it's pretty important. It's mini, but mighty. The second example he uses is, this is not a rudder, but he uses a rudder of a ship. So this is actually the tiller. This is what attaches to the rudder, and then you actually steer the rudder with the tiller. So yesterday morning, I was at the shipyard and <laughs> with Elizabeth Gilman, and we were trying to get her rudder off of her boat, and we actually ran into quite a snag. And so after about 40 minutes of trying, I said, well, we'll go with the tiller. And, but in the course, what is really important about that, though, is over the course of our time trying to get the rudder off the boat, I was able to ask her, so Elizabeth, tell me, you sail, how important is the rudder to the boat, to the ship? She said, oh, it's essential. Without the rudder, uh, you're at the mercy of the wind and the waves, and they're just going to knock you sideways. You won't be able to steer and have direction at all. So the rudder, although, you know, in comparison to a large ship, somewhat mini, but quite mighty. So anyway, here you go, tiller. This is it. And even, I mean, the same thing applies with the tiller, though. This is essential to the steering, but yet not, not huge by any means. So this point that James is making, I wonder if we really consider our words on a regular basis in our lives to be this significant? Do you realize that they really do have this much impact? James isn't really speaking in hyperbole here. He's saying your words have the ability to direct your life and to direct the lives of others. They have really strong impact. I was thinking about some of our favorite quotes that people say, and two came to mind that I think show how we don't always consider how significant our words are. You know, one was, I'm not trying to knock this quote, but I think we should think about the ramifications of it a little, and, and that is, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Again, I'm not saying there isn't some truth in that, but we should think about, actually, if our words really have this much power. You know, it's just kind of interesting. But the bigger one, and you, you can even help me kind of finish this one, You know, so sticks and stones may break my, but names will never. See, you know, we know this. We're taught this from a young age. You know, that just flies in the face of what the Bible teaches. There's there's actually not a lot of validity to that. I don't know about you, but some of the most intense pain that I've probably experienced in my life has come from words. Uh, There's a whole area of hurt that can be created because of our words. Though we can't see them, they have a great impact. Proverbs picks up on this. In Proverbs 18.21, it says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 13.3 
says, He who guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Those are pretty drastic scenarios that Proverbs is painting here. Life, death. Guarding your life, destroying your life. That's pretty big. That's the potential that is wrapped up in our words and the things that we say. I would... Yeah, so I just wonder, you know, if we really considered that and took it seriously, you know, how would our community here as a church be changed? You know, I get excited about the harbor being the most encouraging place on the North Shore. You know, why not? If we're really walking in the heart of Jesus, like, I want this to be a place where people speak of us and they say, wow, that is a people who love well, and speak well of one another. Man, I never hear people gossip when I'm around them. I love being around them because I feel encouraged, uplifted. Um, They're so positive, you know, just that that sort of thing. I think it'd be awesome, just something really good that God has in store for us to be striving for as a people. So I have a book that I really enjoy, and the book is called How Full Is Your Bucket? Okay, so the idea of the book is having a little prop over here. So the idea of the book is that we all have this invisible bucket that is kind of our, I don't know, not our souls, but that we just have. We have this invisible bucket. Just hang, hang with me. And we also have an invisible dipper. Now this is not invisible, but I wanted to, you know, show you just a measuring cup. But so we have these dippers. And in the course of our life, every interaction with someone has the potential to fill their bucket and encourage them, bring life to them, create just just even more of a positive kind of outlook to their life. You know, and so we have this opportunity to either fill their bucket, or we can diminish their bucket. We can dip from their bucket, you know, so taking, and take water out of it, and, you know, create kind of a negative effect on their life. And now, what also happens is that the more we fill another's bucket, you know, with, we speak a word of encouragement. We look at a strength in a person. You know, we, we overlook some of the, you know, we don't gossip about them, all these things. And so we actually fill our own buckets in return. You know, this kind of invisible bucket that we have, we're actually filling it. And the more we dip from other people, the more we dip from our own bucket. And so I wonder, yeah, I like this. Anyway, I just I wonder what it would be like if our goal as a church was be constantly to be filling each other's buckets, to be filling up. You know, our words are rarely neutral. That seems to be what James is saying, and also much of the Bible, is that our words have great positive potential or great negative potential. In this same book... They, they did this study that they found from the U.S. Department of Labor. And a few statistics I found pretty telling. Uh, they said that the number one reason that people leave their jobs is because they do not feel appreciated. 65% of Americans uh, at the time of this study, which was earlier in, I think, around 2004, 65% of Americans received no recognition in their workplace last year. So think about, let's take that, 65% of people coming in here have been spending, you know, around 40 hours a week in an environment where they have experienced zero recognition. 
So chances are pretty good that if you go after two people on a Sunday morning and try and just recognize something they've done or that you value in them, you're going to be striking a huge need and there's going to be a bucket that's fairly, fairly empty and you're going to be able to fill it. And it's, a, it's a good thing. And nine out of ten people say that they're more productive when they're around positive people. I'm not saying you have to fake it. You know, we're not about that here as a church. Just faking, being super positive all the time when really things are tough. You know, it's not, that's not, not what I'm saying. But our words do matter. They do have impact. Have you ever seen this play out in your own life? Can you think of a time when someone spoke a word that really hit the mark? Really saved a, a situation or saved a scenario in your life? I, I was thinking of a time... 16 years old, junior in high school, got a chance to go to Mozambique, Africa. First time out of the country, really transforming experience in my life. And there was a moment that honestly, it would seem insignificant, but it saved the trip for me in many ways. And it happened about halfway through the third day that I was in, in Africa. And so I was there. It wasn't a long trip, but just eight days. Midway through the third day, I was really bumming. I, w- I was there with two pastors from my church. I was, I was the only one that was under, I think, 35 on the trip. Uh, I was there with three nurses, so they had a really practice, and a church administrator from our church. And then there was me. And I'm like, why the heck am I here? I'm not preaching at this pastor's conference that my two pastors are teaching and preaching at to uh, Mozambican pastors. I, I'm not help, I don't really know what I'm doing in the nurse clinic. I'm probably getting in the way more than anything else. And I had gotten sick the first two days, and so that was kind of annoying. So I was kind of bumming around, like, ah, oh, I'm wasting everyone's money who kind of supported me to help get me here. Why am I here? All this stuff. And just kind of really questioning through that. I'm un, there's a group of us where we're just sorting through clothing in this room where they were going to, they're organizing all the clothing. Oh yeah, so I was at an orphanage with about 300 kids and sorting through clothes. My pastor, Pastor Scott, looked up to this guy a ton. He was my pastor growing up. He comes up to me just in the casual, we're sorting clothes. And he says, you know, John, it is so good that you are on this trip. You know, I think that you're one of the most valuable members of our team Because I've been watching you, and the way that you interact with the kids, you can connect with the orphans here in ways that none of us who are older can. It's just amazing the way the kids see you and come and latch on to you. They come and they want to be around you. And then there was, there was a whole group of kind of youth and they were a similar age to me. And just, he said, oh, and those youth, they just love getting around you. They love being around you. It's, our team would be so lacking if you weren't here as someone who could connect and relate to these young folks better. And I remember just my whole demeanor must have shifted in that moment. I I was blown away. I had not even considered that this was true, that this was the case, that there was a value for me to be there in connecting with these kids. It really changed the whole course of the rest of that trip because I thought, wow, there's a reason for me to be here. I can connect with these kids. I can love on orphans and relate to them. And so, so it was a really saving experience. Uh, <clears throat> the bit and the rudder seem to talk about positive impact. 
they're very helpful. We will be in trouble without them. You'll be thrown off a horse. You'll be capsized. You know, whatever the case. Uh, Really important. But James also is careful to say that in the same way that our words can have a really great positive impact, they can also have a great negative impact. So he uses the image of a spark. If Bob's in here, don't yell at me. Our custodial guy. This right here, just that little teeny flame can light an entire forest on fire. Huge impact. The same sort of way our words can be really destructive. They can actually have a a destructive force to them. And though they seem small, they can set a whole whole thing, a, a whole forest ablaze. Proverbs 12:18 says reckless words pierce like a sword but the tongue of the wise brings healing so you have the positive and negative same thing our words not just being neutral but mattering in this life piercing like a sword bringing healing now i was uh, there was a time when i was in 7th grade kind of going back here just want to let you know that I have permission to share this story. And actually, I'm the fool in this story, so I'm allowed to be a little more self-deprecating and poke fun at myself when it's me. And, but, so it involves my sister, though. We talked this week. It's okay. I got to clear to share it. So when I'm in seventh grade, I'm getting into youth group at our church. And my sister was in 10th grade at the time. So she had a whole group of friends, and especially she had a bunch of guys who were friends who were the same age as her. Well, I come into the youth group, and... I become friends with a lot of these guys that were also her friends. And so we're out at this place called Nifty Fifties. It's an awesome place. The best milkshakes. Reese Cup milkshakes. So good. So we're out. We're doing this. And I'm trying to fit in. You know, I'm trying to fit in with these older guys. Connect. My sister's like elsewhere. I'm just with these guys right now. And they start egging me on. It wasn't fully my idea, but I jumped on board pretty quickly because I wanted to fit in. And they were like, oh, your sister thinks that guy, that waiter is really cute. And, really, and so, so I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, you should go talk to him and tell him that, you know, that girl over there thinks he's really cute. And then maybe you should tell him, like, try and get his number or something or, or tell him to go give, you know, or give him your sister's number. I can't remember how it all played out. All I know is that if I was, my goal was to embarrass my sister it worked. <laughs> and so this whole scenario plays out. I thought it was funny. I thought I was getting all this, you know, praise, which it kind of was, but from these older guys. But my sister was furious, rightfully so. Didn't, who would want to be embarrassed by their younger brother in front of all their friends? So when we got home that night, uh, our rooms were near each other, and I could overhear her talking to my mom, saying, Mom, so annoying. I, I never want John to be around me and my friends in youth group anymore. He's in seventh grade. He should not be allowed. I do not want him allowed to be around us. He shouldn't. He, I don't care if he's like becoming friends with them. I don't want him near us. I don't want to be around him. And as I'm sitting in the other room hearing these words, cutting like a sword to the core of who I am, like, oh, my older sister doesn't want me around. I'm not allowed to be around her friends anymore. And honestly, I wouldn't say it was just that one scenario, but in many ways, that was a defining 
uh, experience where I overheard her speaking these words that really hurt me and were pretty destructive that um, drove a little bit of a wedge between us for some years to come. And I often, that, that tape would replay in my mind when we'd be in a setting together and I'd be with her friends and around her, that tape. Mom, I don't want John to be around me. I don't want John to be around me. I don't. And so I would distance myself from her. And then if there were ever scenarios, and this is when it gets so troublesome and our words do matter, where down the road when she would want to then re-engage in friendship with me, then there was this whole pushback of unforgiveness. Well, whoa, you know, you hurt me in this way. And that can be the power of our words. We need to remember that they can pierce like a sword. We're going to blow through this past section, this last section. So much to address. Uh, Read it on your own time. Talk about it in faith groups, even though I think they're on hold for a few weeks. But uh, (laughs) remember your questions. uh, So we're going to read through verses 7 through 12. And there's just going to be one key point from there. And that is that our words identify what's inside of us. It identifies what's going on inside of us. So let's, let's read those. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, similar to what I mentioned earlier, I don't think this is saying that if you've ever misspoken in your life, you're not a Christian. That doesn't seem to be what the Bible teaches anywhere. And that's not what James is teaching here. That if you, know, you misspeak from time to time, that if you don't always control your tongue, that means that the Spirit of God just isn't in you. You're not a Christian. It's not saying that. But what it is saying, that what comes out of our mouth is a really good barometer of what's going on internally. You know, what, what is going on inside of your life by what is coming out of your mouth. Jesus said it like this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So part of what James is saying is if you have lots of bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, there's a good chance that that's eventually going to bubble up and kind of overflow out into some of your words. Or even as you play in your mind how you would interact with people. If there's this you know, desire to kind of cut with your words, there's probably some internal things that you want to deal with and you want to look at. You know, just as a fig tree won't produce olives, a fresh pond, you know, a fresh spring won't bring out salt water. In the same way, if we're not dealing with the stuff internally and letting God heal us and transform us and deal with the wounding that may have come from other people's words, there's a good chance that's going to start coming out. So we, our words can actually be helpful to us as we want to become a mature people. We can start to think, wow, do I really struggle with gossip? Hmm. I wonder what's going on internally that I need to deal with 
so that it's not this constant temptation that I'm talking about other people behind their backs. And, you know, if you're dealing with a great, you have this deep insecurity, you can think, you know, oh, how is this coming out in my words? Are my words always about me rather than focused on others and looking into them? Well, then you can let God start to deal with some of the deeper internal places. And so he says, you know, we shouldn't be cursing our brothers and sisters and then in the same way just praising God, loving him. You know, so, so for James, it's not okay to just live your whole week and rip on your boss and your spouse and just kind of rail on people and be a loose cannon and then show up in church and just sing. Now, sometimes the temptation then is to say, well, I screwed up this week, so I guess I won't engage with God in worship. I guess I won't praise him this week. Well, that's the complete opposite of the point that James is making. What James is saying is let's clean up the rest of our lives. Let's clean up that area so that we as we do what we should be doing, which is praising God, using our tongues, our mouths, to rejoice and praise Him. As we do that, you know, our lives can be a little more in one accord and not one in church and a different somewhere else. So, so even this morning, if you're thinking like, oh, I got some work to do on my tongue, like, welcome to the club. I think we all do. That's not, you don't need to uh, not then engage with God. That's not the point. The point is to take stock in how are you doing with the words that you use in the interactions you have. So our words, they have influence, very influential. They have impact, and they identify what's going on inside of us. So at that, the worship team could come forward. I'm going to bring, we're going to do a little listening to God exercise this morning, kind of along these themes, just realizing that our words matter. They, they really do. And what we're going to do is, we're going to just wait on the Lord just for a minute or two. And I'll pray a, a quick prayer, just asking God to speak to us and open our hearts. And then as, uh, as the worship team gets, gets set and ready to roll, and I move my props here, uh, <clears throat> we're just going to spend some time letting the Lord kind of speak to us. And in two areas especially, um, for some, I think the Lord is wanting to just highlight some areas where, where, you know, myself included, where all of us may have spoken some harmful words to someone that have been hurtful, kind of detrimental. And you just want to ask the Lord, say, Lord, are there any words that I've spoken to any people that have been really hurtful? And Lord... What do you want me to do? Is there anything you're calling me to do to make that right? You know, Jesus said that if we come before the altar you know, to offer a sacrifice, to worship, the, and then we think that a brother or a sister has something against us. Now, important there, it's not we have something against them, it's that they have something against us. We should go to that person and apologize and make things right. That's not saying that if you have something comes to mind and they're not here this morning, that you can't fully engage in worship. That's not what Jesus was getting after. Um, of course, engage. But, but maybe even there is someone here in this room and the Holy Spirit just starts t- just knocking a little, saying, hey, remember when you misspoke to that person? Why don't you just go and say you're really sorry? Just go and apologize. Um, that's a good thing. It's a good practice for us to get in, that this just becomes the culture around here, that when we misspeak, we don't just ignore it, we go and deal with it and we ask for forgiveness and then 
you know, and we apologize. And one small disclaimer, though, you know, sometimes we can enter into this world of gossip. You know, if you've kind of, if one of the things that comes to mind is, oh, I've really been talking about this person behind their back a lot. The Holy Spirit specifically saying, go and ask forgiveness from that person, then don't disobey that. But sometimes it's not necessary to go and mention it to the person. If it's never been, if they don't have a clue, why don't you just keep that between you and God? You don't want to kind of open up a wound that didn't even exist. Um, so just a one thing there. But if the wounds have been made, you know, or you have misspoken, and maybe you're not even sure. Anyway, I think you get, you get the point there. Um, so yeah, so we want to wait on the Lord for that. And then also, just as the response time goes, there may, you may have been misspoken against. You may have stories in your life, like with my sister, uh, where you just need the Lord to kind of speak in and have him speak his words over your life. And anyway, we just want this to be a time where it's not kind of a passive engagement on the topic, but really let the Holy Spirit start applying and speaking some of the things into you that relate to this message. So I'm just going to pray, especially on that first point. Um, what are some ways where, you know, you may need to go and make amends? Father, would you just speak to us? Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. You're so loving. You're so for restoration. And that's why sometimes you ask us to have hard conversations. Because you know that there's there's life on the other end. There's healing on the other end. There's reconciliation on the other end. There's maturity on the other end. And we want to be a mature people, Father. So, Lord, we're just going to wait for a moment. Would you just speak to us lovingly, graciously? Father, we thank you that you are for us and you're not against us. That you're slow to anger. You're quick to love. You're quick to show mercy. God, make us a merciful people. God, give us grace. Give us the strength that if we need to have a hard conversation and ask for forgiveness, I apologize. Give us the grace to do it and just to rise up to be a people who say yes to the, everything that you're calling us to so that we can be more whole and healed up and our relationships can reflect you and we can be a people who who use our words to bring life God and not death thank you Jesus feel free to respond how you need 